Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. Trying to figure out March break and what's the best thing to do. What happened in Durham region with that stupid scavenger hunt? And my psychiatrist is here to help me understand dating in the time of COVID. Let's get to it. Welcome. Hello. Batter up. Some hot heat coming down the plate. Will Stephen Lecce be able to put the ball in play? Before we start talking about what's going to happen with March break, another data anomaly again today. So once again, we have a situation in the province of Ontario where I could tell you the case numbers, and they're pretty good. But it's meaningless because it's not actually accurate because the city of Toronto, the public health unit from Toronto, is underreporting today because of a migration issue. You know, it's tough to get all of that data all sort of together, migrating in the same area. We need some border collies with the data is what we need. Get that data migrated correctly. And the reason that this is an issue is because we're sending kids back to school. Not in Toronto, exactly. Obviously, we got another week to go with that, but we are sending kids back to school across the province. And the thing that I still don't quite understand, I don't get, and I haven't heard a, a good answer to this yet, is that Everything we have heard about COVID-19 is you do something, whether it's a public health measure or restriction, whether you're putting one in place or you're taking one off, and what do you do? You wait two weeks. You wait two weeks to find out what's the impact. And then you can assess. Two weeks later after a lockdown goes into place, are you seeing numbers come down, transmission coming down, percent positivity coming down? That is what we've heard all along. And yet... And yet, we're sending kids back to school and reopening portions of the economy at the same time. And speaking of, you know, ignoring the numbers, because just ignore the number today because it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter. Speaking of ignoring, you know, the unions don't want this thing. School boards don't want it. Students most certainly don't want it, yet it appears this afternoon that the province of Ontario will indeed postpone or alter March break in some way. We don't know exactly what they're going to do, but Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education, is up at 2 o'clock along with Doc Williams. And it's possible that the, the reasoning here is, and I think this is the only reason that would really make any sense, is that Doc Williams is going to get up there and say, look, if we let March break go ahead, people are all going to go out there, they're going to go hog wild, and they're going to get together, and so that's why we need to keep the kids back in school. Behan Fahadi is an education expert and has been on this program before, has written widely about this. Uh, welcome to the program. First of all, what do you think would be behind a cancellation or altering of March break? What would be, what would be the the actual? We're just going to work on uh, getting Behan on the line. Uh, she's going to join us in just a couple of minutes. I, I think the, the question I will ask her is: Is it what's the, what's the motivation here? What would be the motivation to do this? Considering you have all of these stakeholders lined up, as I said, you've got the unions, you've got the school boards, you got the opposition. I mean, take your pick. I think a lot of parents are tired. We've heard that from a lot of parent groups who say, we're tired, the kids need a break, the kids need to get off 
the screens, although in my house, you know, when the the, the learning ends, the, the screens don't go away. It's just the screens turn to different things. It turns to Animal Crossing or Roblox or Fortnite or, you know, you name it. So what is behind, what is the motivation to possibly either cancel or alter March break? Behan Farhadi is with us now, and, and welcome to the program. Uh, ben, I want to tell you, i uh, just point out a, a tweet you put out, and, and you said in your tweet that the, this debate is about the discomfort of a largely white middle class. What do you mean by that? I was thinking about the context of Toronto, um, where at the beginning of the uh, school year, there were reports about who was taking online learning and where they were concentrated. There's been so much data around the racialization of COVID. So COVID is concentrated in communities uh, that are lower income, disproportionately racialized, often working essential jobs. So we definitely have from the onset with regards to this disease and school opening and online learning, the, you know, already are a, a division by both race and class. Uh, when we look at the conversation around returning to schools, it's who is returning to school. Uh, I, I live in a, you know, in Scarborough, but in a relatively privileged part of Scarborough. Mm-hmm. And I just it's largely white middle class parents. And, you know, I went to the, the, the school council and they said in reporting that this particular area of Scarborough didn't have many parents wanting to turn to online learning. But in other parts of Scarborough, uh, where, as I said, you know, you have a lot of uh, high incidence of COVID there was a higher uh, uptake of online learning. And what that means is who is going back to school, who is not um, those folks learning online. In Toronto, it's about 30%. In Peel, I think in elementary, it was about 50%. So that's a lot of parents that are left out of that conversation. Right, and and if they do change March break, which is what we're expecting this afternoon, that, that... That's only going to impact those people who are already saying, no, I'm, I'm sending my kids back to school. If you're already doing online learning, there there wouldn't be a, a great difference, although the, that break wouldn't be there. That's right. And also it's a question of who can afford to travel, especially with the current restrictions. The is that the travel? Is that, you think the issue is travel here? I, I mean, so part of the problem is that these are... These are these are rumors that are coming through leaks that the minister is neither confirming nor denying. And then there's announcement this afternoon about mm-hmm. it. And I think parents, by and large, are announcement fatigued. Like we're tired <laughs> of the announcement of the announcement of the announcement. You know? Oh my God! Yeah, you re- so. <laughs> you're reading my mail. But it, at least they're actually coming out and uh, apparently going to actually say one thing or one way or the other today. I mean, are they? We don't know yet. Maybe they're going to say they need to, they need to wait until medical <laughs> advice is given, and then we'll find out the day before. I don't know. Or, or possibly Dr. Williams will talk for about an hour, and it'll be done, and then we still really won't know what, what's happening. Yeah. I mean, but what we can say, though, is that we've known March break was coming all year, right? Like, I mean, that's something parents have planned around. There still is, you know, a rumor around how this would take place, whether it's canceling it, whether it'd be moving it. But what is for certain is there is a consistency in the disruption that's taking place. And part of that disruption is just not having, I understand you can't expect entire, like 
full certainty, but there's not even consistency in communication. So the principal's council representing all principals and administrators are saying, you know, you children are learning. Even when they're learning at home with school closures that have impacted in-person learning, my children are at home, they're learning. Um, anyone who's been struggling face-to-face is likely struggling online too. Um, but we haven't seen any changes to curriculum expectations and any um, investments in remedial supports for those students who were probably most impacted during the, um, the, the closures last uh, spring. Yeah, well, you make a good point, but and I, and I think this is what we'll hear today, and again, it's a little speculative, but we're, we're not going to hear um, a motivation if they change the March break being because the kids have not, you know, had enough learning, that they're somehow behind. That is, that's just not going to wash. It's going to have to be on health and safety. That's, I mean, that's the only way. That's why Dr. Williams is there. It's not about, well, your, your kids didn't learn enough this semester, therefore they need an extra week of schooling. Right. And, and of course, my concern is that I'm not a health professional. I'm not sort of equipped to, to make these recommendations. But I, what the consistent message from the province has been is that schools are a reflection of community transmission, which is why we've closed. I'd be concerned if businesses and sort of life as usual, you know, on the kind of November or October part of the pandemic takes place. Uh, and then schools are opened at the same time. I, I think the the consensus with sort of ex- experts who have been calling for a return back to school is that school should be the first to open and last to close. So I think this announcement will give us insight into whether that um, that strategy has changed. Mm-hmm. And, and whether or not they're sticking with it. And, and in my preamble before you joined us, I, I talked about my confusion about how you know, everything with health measures has been like do something and wait two weeks and and yet we're sending kids back to school and gradually reopening the economy all at the same time. And I don't know how we're going to know if numbers do go up, like what's driving the transmission. Absolutely. And that I think is what most parents are worried about is that, especially with new variants, we're not sure about what, what it's going to look like even a few months from now. So, I mean, ultimately it's, um, the the worst cases were sort of shut down again and back to remote learning. But again, we're still learning and folks need that break, especially in high schools. Like I think people are often focused on elementary, mm-hmm. but high schools mm-hmm. right now are a quadmastered system. That means for one credit, you have 12 classes. Those students need a break to actually process information that they're receiving. Um, and I, I'm also really worried about um, about especially graduating students. Yeah, I have, I have a high school student, and I actually just into my email popped in about a half hour before I came on the air, uh, their uh, most recent quadmaster marks, and I, I considered opening it, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to wait till after the show, because I think for all parents, we're all super concerned about that, about especially our high school students. I mean, you know, as you peel them off into quadmasters, they're just you know, they're, they're spending so much time on their screens and studying and trying to get things going. And I hear your point that those high school students, I don't think we talk enough about them and the impact, and maybe they do need a week where they just play Animal Crossing. Yeah, they just, they can't even, you can't, you can't cognitively process all the information coming to you that fast. There's just, there does, again, there needs to be a, a break for students. And if, unless there is a health imperative, and again, this isn't coming down from, you know, public public health units. Um, it, I know they're, they're in conversation, but I'm, I'm concerned just about the way that this conversation is coming about, which is through leaks and opinion pieces and not mm-hmm. from 
from the minister himself. Yeah, it, it seems to have been a lot of trial balloons being floated uh, exactly. in, in the press. Behan, I appreciate you being on the program as always. Thanks again. Thank you. There is anger and there is resentment in Durham Region today, and that anger is summed up here by Selena Caesar Chavin, who is a former Liberal MP for Ajax. This is a juvenile, insulting um, attempt to trivialize not only Black History Month, but Black constituency in Durham Region. What Ms. Caesar Chavin is talking about is a scavenger hunt. This has come out from the region of Durham, and the Diversity Committee put out a memo or some kind of thing to the internal, To it was an internal communication to employees of the region. And this scavenger hunt to celebrate Black History Month, in it, participants were asked to complete a number of tasks, including dance to a reggae song and list the name, cook an African or Caribbean meal and describe it, have a conversation with a black employee and name them, and take a photo of an item in the home that reminds the participant of black history and explain why with an accompanying picture. Again, this is a scavenger hunt that was put together by a diversity committee at the region of Durham and communicated to the employees of the region. Activist and author Desmond Cole responded this way, quote, an activity like this really shows how desperate workplaces are to avoid talking about black people's real issues. And again, here is the former MP for Whitby, Selena Caesar Chavin. This is a juvenile, insulting attempt to trivialize not only Black History Month, but Black constituency in Durham region. The definition of anti-Black racism and an example, a very poignant example of systemic racism and what happens when you do not have enough Black employees around the table. This is what happens when you don't have enough Black employees around the table. The reaction after this came out from Durham Region, they put out a statement, quote, We continue to learn and strive to do better. Open dialogue and honest conversations allow us to better understand one another and create an anti-racist environment. We recognize we have a long way to go, unquote. That, as you might imagine, did not satisfy critics. It didn't satisfy much of anyone. So what happened here? This is Elaine Baxter Traher, who is Chief Administration Officer for the region of Durham. This is about the region trying to undertake activities to uh, really educate staff more broadly on Black history and culture. And unfortunately, a couple of uh, the activities included, a couple out of many activities were problematic, and that's what we're here to apologize for. That is what we are here to apologize for. Last evening, prior to the interview with Ms. Baxter Traher, Here's the reaction to the response, the initial response from the region from Ms. Caesar Chavin. 
Well, that farce of a PR statement did not even have the decency to include the words, we are sorry to the black community. So again, if John Henry um, doesn't know how to respect not only his black employees within the region of Durham, but his constituency, he needs to pack his box and remove himself from the position of regional chair. That is Cesar Chavan, Ms. Selena Cesar Chavan, a former MP for uh, for Ajax, and she was referring there to John Henry, who is the regional chair, the chair of Durham Region. In that interview that you just heard last night, or heard there, it was from last night, and clearly uh, that had an impact because here is what John Henry had to say to Global News this morning. I apologize for what, what's happened, and, uh, and we're sorry that it's happened, but we can do better, and this this just brings to the, the forefront that we need to do better within our region. So on behalf of the organization, I, I am in, I'm apologetic, and, and uh, ultimately I take responsibility for it. This is something that will be addressed through uh, through the region, and we will continue to rebuild those bridges that have been uh, that have been damaged during this event. So a more complete apology there from John Henry who is uh, the chair of Durham Region, where this scavenger hunt that, amongst other things, encouraged people to dance to a reggae song and list the name as a way to celebrate Black History Month, not to mention this one, have a conversation with a black employee and name them. So the apology there from the chair of the region. The last word on this goes to Ms. Cesar Chavin. Ajax is one of the fastest growing demographics of Black people in Durham region. And if this is the example of the leadership that we elect, maybe we should think twice about re-electing certain individuals the next time around. Obviously, that is going to continue to just, that is just not good. When when your diversity committee cannot get diversity right, you are in some trouble. And the region has pledged that it will put a new, it has a a new committee that it's going to bring in, a a new program with a new hire, and they say they're going to try and address this, and they're going to put this in the rear view mirror. Let's talk about dating and the business of dating. Bumble, anyone? Shares of the dating app company, which operates as a matchmaker where women make the first move. I don't know if you know anything about the Bumble. It's not called the Bumble. That's just what I say. It began trading today on the NASDAQ exchange after selling 50 million shares for 43 bucks a piece. So its IPO was 43 bucks, and that gave it a valuation of $8.2 billion. And let's just check... The current valuation of Bumble, 76 bucks. Okay, it opened at 43. Quick math, you're up 76% on the day. Gives you a sense of the froth in the market and all the money being sloshed around out there, but also tells you something about dating. You know, Bumble is a fascinating company. It was started by Whitney Wolf Hurd. Founded in 2014, she had begun her career at another dating service, Tinder, 
and she initially set out to create a women-focused social network. Before landing on this concept of a female-focused dating app, Bumble requires women searching for heterosexual matches to make the first move, the idea being that this feature empowers women to make their own choices. And at 31 years of age, she becomes one of the youngest female CEOs in tech to take her company public. And unlike many other technology companies, the majority of Bumble's board is made up of women. So a fascinating company and something to keep your eye on uh, if you're an investor. Bumble. Bumble. Now, since we're in a pandemic and we're talking about dating, we have some new dating terms that have come about because of the pandemic. A report on this uh, from Babbel, not Bumble, from Babbel. See, you got you to stay atten- keep attention to these things. So here are some of the new terms, the coronavirus-related dating terms that you may not have heard of. For example, if you get zumped, I've been zumped. That's where somebody dumps you over Zoom. Zumping. Corona zoned. That's when a physical relationship with someone is put off because one or both people don't want to catch or spread the virus. So they couple ops to keep the relationship socially distanced. It's responsible. It's the right thing to do. But, oh my goodness, It's probably not fun being put in the corona zone, stuck in the corona zone. Then you got lock blocking. Lock blocking. That is canceling or rescheduling a date if lockdown rules or restrictions ruin plans. You know, suddenly, all of a sudden, we get variants of concerns. We go back into a different color code. We've gone into the gray zone, and I've been lock blocked. You got your quarantine bay. Bay is in... Before all else, your quarantine bay, those dating exclusively during the pandemic, and smug salation. Smug salation. That is when a new couple uses social media to flaunt how they're now spending all of their time together on the couch. Aren't you cute? And you have FODA, fear of dating again. Not FOMO, fear of missing out. FODA. Fear of dating again when finally this pandemic does end. How is it that COVID could actually be the best thing to happen to dating since the pill? Well, Marcia Sirota is my psychiatrist, and she has written about that on her blog, and she joins me now. Marcia, how are you? I'm fine, and and how are you feeling? Well, thank you for asking. I appreciate that. I'm I'm happy to not be dating in the time of COVID. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> I hear you. But you've written that you think that this is really going to supercharge dating. Is you know I, I I figure that when once the pandemic is over, all the singletons are all going to just strip naked and run out into the streets. That's what I think is going to happen. But what do you think is going to happen? You know what I think? There's probably going to be a combination of people who are going to be just going hog wild, and it's going to be like a spring break everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to take the changes that have happened during the lockdown. For the, You know, it'll be probably about two years before it's over, at least. And they're going to change their behavior because I think there's a lot of fundamental shifts that have happened because of COVID that are actually good for dating. 
Really? Now, you, you write in your blog about something called hardballing. What is that? Hardballing is a concept that is similar to my own concept of ruthless compassion, which is really about not tolerating anything that doesn't work for you and really demanding what you want and what you deserve. And so people are less willing to waste time on pursuing other partners who are not, you know, really right for them. So in the before times, you would be dabbling and, you know, well, it's not working out, but whatever. But whereas now we are, it, it's such a pressure cooker, we're not going to put up with anything that's not right for us. Yes, and I think the opportunity to spend so much time alone and really reflect is helping people really come to terms with who they are and what they want. And, and because there's so much suffering going on, they're just not willing to put up with you know, mediocrity anymore. They want what they want, and they're willing to hold out for it. Do you think it's going to change the way that, you know, people interact and, and meet? Obviously, you know, it, in the before times, you know, with these dating apps, so we're talking about Bumble right there, you know, the, the way we meet each other has been really gamified, you know, swipe right, swipe left. Y- do you see that being supercharged as a trend after COVID? No, I think what's going to be supercharged is the authenticity and intimacy because what COVID has also done is it, it's really forced us to have conversations because, you know, being authentic, being vulnerable is scary for a lot of people. And so a lot of young mm. people will jump into the sexual intimacy before they've gotten into the emotional intimacy because somehow the sexual intimacy seems less, you know, um, threatening or scary. And so they will kind of jump over the time when they're supposed to really be getting to know each other, whereas now we're really forced to do that getting to know you uh, period. And people are finding that it's really fulfilling and it's really, really satisfying, and they're having much more success and happiness in their online relationships than they were when they were, you know, putting the cart before the horse kind of thing and jumping into the physical part before they really got to know each other. I would like to believe what you're saying. It's 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 a hopeful, that's a hopeful way of looking at it because I I think there's a large portion of the population those who are single, those who wish they were single, those who are trying to pretend they're single, and they're all going to just jump into a giant hot tub with each other once the pandemic is over. Well, maybe some of them will, you know, because there's you know you can never underestimate uh, people's capacity for foolishness. <laughs> However. However, you also can't underestimate people's capacity for learning. And I think people are learning some very important life lessons due to all this time on their hands. They're kind of forced to confront who they are and what they want. And and they're seeing that having these more meaningful interactions with people online is actually making them happier. And, And they're finding that, you know what, why would I go back to the other when this is really working for me? And I think that group who really gets it, isn't going to want to go back to the old way because they're happier now. And anything that makes you happier, right, is going to be something that you want to do. The other thing is, you know, what do we all really want? We're talking about Valentine's Day because we all want love. Hmm. and But love is scary because you've got to be vulnerable. So a lot of people put up all sorts of roadblocks to love because they don't want to be seen, they don't want to be rejected, they don't want to be judged. But because of COVID, they're forced to be seen, they're forced to be taking those emotional risks. And when it pays off, it really pays off, and they're getting the love that they've always wanted. So why would they go back to having superficial dalliances when they're now getting real love, which is exactly what everybody truly hopes for? I just love that. That's, that's fantastic. You know, I'm speaking with Marcia Sirota, my psychiatrist. 
and one of the things that you've helped me realize and the, one of the things that I really truly believe, and this is in advance of Valentine's Day and everybody wants to be loved, that the only way you can be loved, the only way that you can really love somebody else is to start with yourself. you got to love yourself first. That's step one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you got to really show who you are and really see who the other person is because intimacy is defined as seeing and being seen, and we have to see ourselves and love ourselves, and we have to see the other person and accept them for who they are. And if we can't, then we have to move on to the next one. And that's what, you know, this online dating is enabling us to do. Swipe right. Yeah, well, it's enabling us to be a little bit more compassionate and a little bit more ruthless, which is a really good combination. Yeah, Yeah, I... I, you, my experience with the, the dating apps and the brief experience I had is is it's positive because it you know it always it expands your your pool of people that you can possibly interact with, but this gamification of it is always like well maybe there's just one more one maybe there's a better one right next. I mean that is a problem too with that with those apps. Absolutely, but look what COVID has done. We can't do that. Those serial daters, I wrote that about that in the article, the serial daters who, who jump from, you know, one flower to the, the next, they can't do that now. They're forced mm. to slow down and go, okay, either I'm not going to date at all or I'm going to have to really change the way I do it because, you know, the people that they're dating aren't going to tolerate their, you know, their dithering and, uh, and they're going to have to either, you know, give up the dating or be more serious. So, it's really making it impossible to do the serial dating. It's it, making it very impossible for the ambivalent or the commitment-phobic people to, to get ahead because people aren't going to tolerate that right now. They want meaningful interactions because people are lonely. You know, like, really, if, you, if you're really honest about it, people are feeling lonely. So they're not willing to put up with things that they would be putting up with in the past. So those kinds of kind of toxic daters, right, they're right. not getting away with what they used to do. And people are seeing that they can have more and they can have better, and why settle? Marcia, i got to let you go. Thank you. Always great to talk to you. Thanks. Um, just send the bill along, as per usual, to Chorus Entertainment. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Take care, Alan. Marcia Saruta is a psychiatrist, and you can uh, check out her blog. Uh, where is that? MarciaSarotaMD.com. That's where you can find that. Listen, oh, I'm out of time. Goodness gracious me, i got to go. Have yourself a great Long weekend. I'm off tomorrow. Be good to yourself. Start with yourself. Look yourself in the mirror. Tell you, man, you got it going on. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget the Alan Carter Show weekdays starting at 